Behind the mild-mannered alter ego of our everyday lives is a superhero waiting to break free. Released from the chains of our doubts and fears and the stress and worries of everyday life, we were intended to live powerful lives of confidence, love, and clear purpose. The kind of life that can only come from the God of the universe who created us all. Perfectly balanced in our responsibilities and priorities. Lives that seek God first and follow his command. Righting wrongs and pardoning the ones responsible for the brokenness in our past. And sharing the restoration and freedom in Christ we've been given to a dying world. The time has come to become who we were meant to be and experience the kind of life change that can only come from Power Living. <laughs> Isn't that a great video? Our, our creative communications team puts all this stuff together, and that's pretty amazing. I want to talk to you about Power Living. This is our new series, and we're going to do this series, take care of this series over the next four weeks. I guess you've noticed, haven't you, that uh, we only get to live one life and there's no pause buttons. Anybody notice that? Life just keeps coming no matter what. And there's no rollbacks. Oh, let's redo that. This is life. And so the question is, how do you live your best life? And that's what we're going to be talking about over the next four weeks. I came across a research project that really took me by surprise, quite honestly. It comes out of a research center that is called the Peak Performance Center out of San Francisco. And this center is uh, operated by, led by, Dr. Charles Garfield. And what they did is they made a decision, let's, let's find out what is different about peak performers. And they decided they would study 50. That's pretty a that's a pretty massive study if you ask me. They studied 1,500 different individuals who are considered peak performers in business, in athletics, in medicine, in education, in music, in every area that you can imagine. They pulled together the names of individuals that are considered peak performers, and they said, "What is the difference?" between these individuals who seem to be at a whole different level than those who are in mediocrity, though they're trying their hardest. What is the difference in the lives of people who are peak performers? And what they discovered is there are differences. There are seven key ingredients. No matter what field they're in, no matter what their background, there are seven key ingredients to peak performers. And the first one, the strongest one of all of them, according to them, their study, really took me by surprise. Because what they discovered is, is that people who are peak performers are people that lead a well-rounded, balanced life. And I didn't expect that. And in fact, at the very end of the study, the interviewer that's involved in all of this in the write-up of the story the interviewer sort of summarizes it in this way, and I really want you to hear these words. He says, basically what you're saying is that at any time, any one part of your life becomes all important. Everything, including that part, eventually begins to crumble. Did you hear that? 
If there is any part of your life that you make more important, all important, the end result will be that every part of your life, including that part, will eventually begin to crumble. What Dr. Charles Garfield said in this study was simply this. Balanced living is one of the keys of peak performance living. I want to talk to you about the issue of balanced living. Quite honestly, it was a surprise to me, and I think it'd be a surprise to, to all of us, because what we've heard all of our life is if you want to be a peak performer, what you've got to do is figure out what area you want to perform in, in a peak way, and you've got to throw everything else to the side. If it's business, you've got to pour all of your energies into that business. Your job, whatever it is, you've got to pour all your energies into that business, or that job, or whatever it is, and you've got to forget everything else. And then you'll be a peak performer. And you know what I've done? I believe? I believe that that is actually true for a little while. I believe that if you pour all your energies into one direction for a little while, you will be at the top. But what will begin to happen is the law of diminishing returns in which all these things that you've tossed to the side begins to fall apart and crumble and then this one thing that you put all your energy in begins to crumble too. What I want to challenge all of us in is in this whole power living thing that the first thing that we grab a hold of in our life is the idea of how to live a balanced life and I want to talk to you about that today. There's one key verse in the whole series that we're building the series around, and it is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, and it's this verse. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. God never intended one person in this room to live in weakness and timidity. He did not want every anyone in this room to live in fear and doubt. He wants us to live in power. A powerful life, full of power and love and self-control. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at four particular things. There's more than four about a power-living kind of lifestyle, but there are four that we're going to look at over the next four weeks. And this first one is the subject of balance. There is a passage of Scripture that has come to mean a great deal to me early all my adult life. I've gone back to it so many times, it keeps feeding my life. And it's found in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 to 27. It's right there in your notes, and here's what it says. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are, dis are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So run with purpose in every step. This morning, what I want to do is show us how we can run with purpose in every step. It takes two things to live, I believe, a balanced life. The first thing is we've got to know what the goals are. We've got to know what the purpose of life is. And the second thing is we then have to build the priorities that are necessary to live that life. So the first thing I want to talk to you about is this very thing. There are goals that God intended our lives to reach. There's at least four, maybe more, but there's at least four that God intends that we take on in our life, four key goals to life. 
that will define life for us. Let me tell you, most people do not live with intentionality. Most people get up in the morning, they go to work or go to school like they're supposed to do. They come home, they watch a little television or they're on their Facebook account or whatever it is that they do until it's bedtime. They go to sleep, they get up the next day and they do the whole thing all over again. And they live their whole lives with no real sense of direction, no real sense of what is this about, what does this even mean, no sense of intentionality. I believe that balanced living begins with an understanding of why in the world am I here? What am I to accomplish? What are the goals that God has laid out for me? And I do know of four key goals that God's Word has given to us. The first goal is simply this, that we could know God. That we could know God. Jesus prayed a prayer to his father at the very end of his life. We know that it is, but John doesn't tell us when it is. I believe that he prays this prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, just hours before he is killed. And in this prayer that is recorded for us in John chapter 17, in verse 3, he says this, these words, and this is eternal life that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life does not mean living forever. Eternal life means to know God. That's what Jesus said. This is eternal life, that, we might, that they might know you. What Jesus is saying is, is that God intended to, to, to not have a religion, not to uh, us to grab hold of a religion of rules and regulations and a list of ceremonies and all that stuff. He intended to have a relationship with you. Can you imagine it? That you have the opportunity to have a relationship with the God of the universe the great God who is all-powerful and all-knowing, this great God who is everywhere wants a relationship with you. And Jesus said, this is what, this is what all of life means and all of life is about, that we could know God. Paul picks up on this very idea and he says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I might know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Here is the first purpose of life. That we would have a relationship with God. You can be in a situation, a relationship with God in which you sense his presence. You know he's there. You sense his presence. You can hear his voice. You can know him. And him know you and have a relationship with God. The first purpose of life is to know God. The second purpose of life is to experience life as he created it to be. And this is what Jesus was saying in John 10.10 when he says, My purpose is to give life and life in all of its fullness. What Jesus is saying is, is that I want you to experience all that life was meant to be, all that I intended life to be, all of the fun, all of the laughter, all of the wonderful experiences of life, 
all of the responsibility, all of the, of the honor and, and the, the purpose and the meaning. I want you to experience all that life was supposed to be so that you and I in our lives experience the gusto of life but at the same time can look at ourselves in a mirror and know that we are a person, we are individuals of character and honor and integrity. It's the both sides of the same coin. It's the balance. And Jesus said, I'm not trying to steal life from you. I'm trying to give you life. I'm not trying to... To, to take you life away from you and the fun away from you, I'm trying to give it to you in full measure so that you can experience all that I meant life to be, but including a life of honor and respect, of character, of integrity. I want you to experience life in all of its fullness. This is the second purpose of life. The third reason for life is that God wants us to accomplish a mission for him. The very next verse that Jesus gives, the next word that Jesus gives in that prayer to his father at the end of his life, we saw verse 3, but now look at verse 4. I have brought you glory. He's talking to his heavenly father. I brought you glory on the earth. How? By completing the work you gave me to do. My question is, do you know that God has given you a mission? And are you accomplishing that mission of God in your life? How could I possibly know what God's mission is for my life? You'll begin to know once you begin to understand how you're wired. What are your talents and abilities? What are the passions of your life? What are the spiritual gifts that God has given to you? What are the resources God has given to you? All of these are like signposts directing you in the direction of the mission of God for your life. The Bible calls it, using the word, a trust that God has given to you. It's not a verb, not trusting. It is a noun, a trust. God has given to each one of us a trust, our, our, our talents, our abilities, our spiritual gifts, our resources, our time, our money, and our life experiences. Even the worst of the experiences. This is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that part of what God purposed, even the hardest experiences, the most painful experiences of your life, is to be a part of the life mission. That you use this and turn it around for good so that it becomes a resource in your life to accomplish God's mission through you. When I look at my life, for example, I know that part of my life mission is my family. It's Kathy. And part of Kathy's life mission is Mark. And bless her heart for that because it ain't easy. That I'm to pour my life into this woman that I've committed my life to. That we're to learn how to love on a deeper level than just surface. We're learned, we learn how to love below the surface deep each other and trust each other. Part of my life mission is my two sons, is my four grandchildren. 
of pouring my life into them, of helping to impact and affect their lives. And the same thing is true about you. Part of God's life mission in your life has to do with your family, but it is not the sum total of it any more than it's the sum total of mine. Mine's a little bit easier because my life mission now is you. It's Sugar Creek Baptist Church. It's pastoring this church and pastoring well in a way that brings honor to God. The best I understand. God has given me the tools. He's given me the strengths. He's given me the abilities. And he's given me a call. But in the very same way, he's given you. God intends for you to impact your world for him. So in what ways can you do that? In what ways has he gifted you? In what ways has he given you talents and abilities? In what ways has he given you life experiences? In what ways has he given you resources? All of these come together for you to impact the mission of God, the great commission of impacting your world for Jesus Christ. It's part of the purpose for us as Christ followers of being alive. The, th the fourth goal that God has given to us in his word is that life is to be a pre preparation for heaven. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10, and this was God's purpose, that when the time is right, he will gather us all together to be with him in Christ forever. History is moving to a destiny. To a point in time, history is moving in that direction. But you're moving individually in that direction too, and so am I. Whether it is when Jesus comes back or whether it is that we go to be with him when we die. But you and I, our history is moving in a direction as well. And all of our life, all of our life is meant to prepare us for heaven. The moment we begin to see life that way, it changes how we interpret the life we experience, the pain we go through, the heartache we go through, the disappointment we go through. If all of life is to prepare us for heaven, it changes how we view our lives. Live with purpose in every step. Live with intentionality. Understanding my purpose in life is to know God. My purpose in life is to experience all that God intended life to be. With honor, with laughter, with integrity, all of it. And third, I've got a life mission to accomplish in my world helping people in my world come to know Christ as Savior. And then all of my life is to get me ready for heaven. You put it all together, and it means intentionality. And so that between now and heaven, there is a race to run. There is a race to run. Paul understood it in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Here he is at the end of his life. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24, we looked at Run in such a way as to get the prize. Run with purpose in every step. All through the New Testament, it talks about life being a race. And that's why in Acts, Paul says, I consider my life worth nothing if only that I may finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given to me. So let me ask you a question. 
How many of you have ever run in a marathon before? Would you raise your hands? You've ever run in a marathon? Boy, we are, we got to get out there and get some exercising done. It's been this way in all, th- the, all three services. The four or five people, the rest of us, look at us. How many of you have ever watched a marathon before at least? Would you, okay. How many of you knew there was a word called marathon? Would you raise your hand? See, now, okay, now we got everybody. In a marathon, it begins with a whole glut of people, right? You don't have to be fast. You don't have to be strong. You, you just got to stick with it kind of thing. There, it's got a glut of people. You don't have to be in the front. You can be in the very back. It doesn't matter. And boof, everybody takes off. It isn't who's in the marathon, who starts the marathon that matters. It's who finishes the marathon. Isn't that right? It's not how you start, it's how you finish. There's a glut of people, but it starts thinning out, doesn't it? The, the more miles you put on it, that starts thinning out. There are some who say, I'm done with this. I cannot get this finished. There's others who are throwing up on the sidelines. And, and one after another. But it's not how you start it. It's how you finish it. And it's the same way about life. Look, anybody can start. We all do. It's how we finish it. You finish strong by first understanding the purpose for the race. And second of all, you finish strong by setting the priorities that you will build in your life. Balance comes from establishing life's priorities. We don't have time for everything. Every decision we make, by the fact we made it, we have already decided other things that we will not do. Everything we've decided we will do has already decided what we won't do because we can't do everything. Proverbs chapter 17 verse 24 says it this way, an intelligent person aims at wise actions, but a foolish person starts off in many directions. Have you met people like this? It's like everywhere time you turn around, they're going in a different direction. They're like a stray dog at a whistler's convention. It's just wherever they hear the next whistle and there they go. Have you seen people that live their life this way? Think about what I just said. You'll get that. You'll get that. Focus is the key to a life of balance. Focus is the key. Proverbs 12 verse 11 says it's foolish to waste time on useless projects. There is a difference between activity and accomplishment. There's a difference between major and minor. You put your time into the majors and you'll be productive. But if you put your you major on the minors, you will spin your wheels. And that's what the verse is saying. It's foolish to waste time on useless projects. Establishing priorities is the key to balance of life. Understanding why am I here and now establish the priorities by which I'll live my life. So you got to develop the priorities, you got to ask yourself four questions. You ready? The first question you got to ask yourself is, what will be the core of your life? What will be at the center of your life. I, I want to demonstrate this by using this wagon wheel right here. You'll notice that 
there's different parts to the wagon wheel. There, there's, there are the spokes. You see the spokes. You see the rim that goes around. But the most important part of the wagon wheel is actually the hub. Why? Because it's the hub that gives direction to everything else in the wheel. It is the hub that gives the power for everything else in the wheel. It's the hub. It's what you decide. What will be the hub of my life? What will be the core of my life? So what is? What is the core of your life? What is the core of your life? i got to tell you, for some people in this room, it's money. It's the core of your life. And you know how you can know it is not by how much money you make because there are people that make great deals of money that money is not the core of their life. And there are some people that make almost no money, but money is the core of their life. It is when your self-worth becomes so entangled with your self-worth, when your net worth becomes so entangled with your self-worth that you can't distinguish the two. Who I am is how much do I make. All of my life is geared toward money. That becomes the core of your life. And for some of you, that's exactly what's happened to you. For others of you, it's your job. It's your career. It has become the core of your life. Your whole sense of self-worth and who you are as an individual is so wrapped up in your job that you cannot differentiate the two. It has become the hub of your life. For others, the hub of your life is family. And if you watch any movies that have a moral to them, first of all, that have any morals to them, and that have a moral to it, more than likely, if it's talking about priorities, it'll tell you that the most important priority of life is family. Well, I'm going to tell you, family is very important. It's the second most important part of our life. But it is not the hub of our life. Let me tell you how you can know. I want you to think back of this example of a guy whose, whose name is Horatio Spafford. Have you ever heard of his name? He lived in the uh, middle of the 1800s. And in 1874, he had the most horrible, tra tragic thing that happened in his life. He was a pretty wealthy guy. He lived in Chicago, and he said to his family, hey, why don't we spend some extended vacation time in England? But he had so much business that he had to take care of, he said, why don't you go ahead? I'll meet you there in a week or two. And so they took off on a ship going to London. But in the, in the process of the trip, there was a shipwreck, and the end result of the shipwreck is that his wife survived, but his four children all died in the shipwreck. When his wife got to England, she, she wired back, and when he heard what had happened, he dropped everything. He went as fast as he could. He boarded a ship on his way to England. And on the way to England, he penned the song, It Is Well With My Soul. He's the author of that song. We still sing today, It Is Well With My Soul. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. How is it that a guy who loved his children more than life himself, and he would have been willing to die, please let me die instead of them, how is it that a guy could lose his four children and still say, It Is Well With My Soul?
it was because, though his family was probably the second most important part of his life, it was not the hub. See, whatever you put in the hub of your life and it is stripped away from your life will destroy you. All it's going to take is an accident, a car accident, and those that you love are gone. And if that is the core of your life, your life is destroyed. All it's going to take is a stock market crash. All it's going to take is something that happens in your life. And whatever you put your whole life in and made as the core of your life is wiped away and your life is destroyed. Whatever can be stripped from you should not be the core of your life. The core of your life should be that which can never be taken from you. And this is why Jesus said it the way he said it when he said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, but seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. It is like that wagon wheel. All the spokes in our life, they are important. We, we need them. They are priorities of our life. But what drives it, what is the power of our life, what is the control factor of our life is the hub, and that hub is Jesus Christ. How you can know that you can survive anything that comes, no matter how harsh and hurtful that it is, is when you make Jesus Christ the hub of your life. Because he cannot ever be stripped from you. So my question is, in order to have a life that is balanced, you got to know what the goals are, and then you've got to set the priorities. And the first question of the priority is, who will be at the core of your life? Who's at the core of your life, Really? Second of all, the question's got to be answered. What will be the character of your life? What kind of person are you going to be? What kind of character do you choose to have? Proverbs 2 verse 7 says, God grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. He is a shield to those who walk with integrity. There's not one of us in this room that are perfect people. And I'm going to head up the line of imperfect people. And I'm going to tell you, you're in that line too. There is not one of us in this room who's perfect people. Every one of us have failures in our life and, and things that we look back and we wish we would not have made that decision or done that thing. All of us are imperfect and all of us are in process. None of us have arrived. But even though we have imperfect things about our life and sinful things about our life, we can be people of character. We can be people of character. Character is doing what is right as defined by God regardless of personal cost. And so the question I'm asking you is, what will be the character of your life? We don't become people of character by accident. We become people of character on purpose. We decide that no matter what price we are going to pay, we will be a person of character. How do we get there? I've used this verse so many times. I've brought this verse to your attention so many times. I'm going to keep doing it because I think it's one of the greatest verses in the Bible. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, he says this simply, Train yourself to be godly. 
Have you met godly people? Man, I, I have. I've met people that I have thought to myself, wow, one day when I grow up, I want to be just like that person. But can I tell you something? Godly people don't get it by osmosis. Godly people don't get it by being around other godly people. Godly people get, become Christ-like by building the disciplines in their life that builds that godliness in their life. We build character as we would a wall, block by block, decision upon decision, line upon line, little upon little. It is the act of building right disciplines into our life. And so my question is, you got to decide what will be the character of your life. And the moment you decide it and you are intent on it, it will already make a whole bunch of your decisions because a whole lot of our decisions are character decisions. It will make so many of your decisions. What will be the character of your life? Here's the third question. How will I treat the others in my life? The others are our family members and our extended family members. How will I treat the others in my life? The others are your coworkers, are your classmates. The others are your friends. The others are people X in your life, meaning who is at the cash register at the store that you've never met before and never will see again. People X, the person who is driving that car like a nut in front of you. That's people X. People that you will never encounter again, but your life crosses over. How will I treat the people of my life? The people of life, our life also includes the enemies, the enemies of our life. Romans chapter 12, verse 16 puts it this way live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. Did you know that the word balance is what we're talking about, balance. The word balance in the Webster's Dictionary is when all the parts are in harmony. Balance relationships of your life is when you decide how you will treat the others of your life and you will take seriously what Jesus says about love. Anybody can love people that love them. Jesus even made that statement. Where you take the step above is when you love people who don't love you. You love people who are mean to you. You love people that live lives that you don't like. How will you treat the others in your life? Romans chapter 12, verse 18. I looked at, we just saw verse 16, but look at verse 18. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You know why I put that in there? Because don't you know you have an extended family member that every time there's a, a reunion, you just dread that that person's going to be there? Don't you? Don't, okay, don't answer. That's okay. But in your heart, you're saying yes, and I know you are. There is some extended family member, no matter how hard you try, you can, that you cannot deal with that person. Or there is a coworker, or there is somebody in your life, no matter how hard you try, because that person is so difficult to deal with. And so he said, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live 
at peace with everyone. You need to know this. Coming to a position of balance in our relationships will require more from us than it will from others. It will require more from you than it will the other person. At least it, in your mind it will. Will I choose to be self-centered or self-giving? Will I choose to be a servant or insist on being served? Let me tell you, that is a key issue of marriage. Which one am I going to be? Second of all, will I be thoughtful or thoughtless? Number three, will I be resentful or forgiving? Number four, will I love my enemies as Jesus told me to do? Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. How we answer this question, how will I treat the others in my life, will determine what kind of life we actually live. The depth of our happiness and the depth of our peace. Here's the last one, and I'll go quickly because I'm out of time. How will I balance my work and my rest? And this is the great problem of a whole lot of workaholics in this room. How will I balance my work and my rest? The Bible talks about working hard. Ephesians 6, verse 6 to 8. Work hard, but not just to please your employers while they're watching. As employees of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good that we do. It is a dishonor to, for a Christ follower to be lazy. It is a dishonor before Almighty God. For us to be the person in the office that is the goof-off, it is a dishonor to Jesus Christ to be lazy. But the same Bible that says work hard also talks about balance between work and rest. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 8, Here is a man who is always working, never satisfied with the wealth he has. For whom is he working so hard and denying himself any pleasure? This is useless and a miserable way to live. He's talking about the, alco the alcoholics, the workaholics. <laughs> I, okay, he's talking about the workaholics in this room. <laughs> and he is saying we're to live with balance. We're to live with balance. Now let me tell you, there are times in our life, if you are not an hourly employee, if you own a business or you are a salaried person, there are times in our life that we will leave balance temporarily. We cannot help it. In which the demands are so great and the emphasis of our life has got to be directed for a short period of time. And we pour everything in for a short period of time. But if you live there, if that's how you live from now on, you will ruin every relationship of your life and you will destroy your life. The people that win in the end are the people that learn how to live a balanced life between work and rest. 
I'm taking you back, as I close out this message, I'm taking you back to that study that I was talking about at the beginning. And here's the statement. When the head of the research center interviewed top executives in 10 major industries, he found that they knew how to relax. They could leave their work at the office. They prized close friendships and family life. They spent a healthy amount of time with their children and those who were closest to them. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And to get to the end as a peak performer, you've got to know what life is meant to be. And you've got to put priorities that honor God. And if you do, you will be a peak performer in your life because you will have become balanced in your living. That's how you do power living. Now, the question I'm asking you is this. Who is at the core of your life? you got to get that settled. And if you haven't, in just a few moments when this service is over, right through the center doors and across the short foyer, there's a room called Next Step Center. And you could talk to one of our ministers about how you could come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and begin this amazing relationship with God. And I hope you open your heart to do it. And some of you have already started the journey, and you're visiting our church, and there's a sense in your heart, this is my church. How do I join this church? Right through the center doors and across the short for your next step center. Talk to one of our ministers about how you could be a part of Sugar Creek. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done in our life. God, help us to get a hold of what is life about. What is the purpose of this life, the goals of this life? And Father, teach us about how to build the right priorities by asking the four questions and answering them in a way that brings true balance to our life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.